Chapter 23 of Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tatiana Chichilla. Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California, or The Marauder of the Mines, a romance founded on truth by Henry L. Williams. Chapter 23. Texas Jack. Garcia judges and executes for his own hand. Pillage of the Three Counties. A piece of bravado. A few words on Texas Jack, an errant knave. In 1836, he was 12 years old. His father, American, went off in the army against Mexico at the time of the Battle of San Jacinto. Jack wanted to be of the expedition, but was refused as being too young. Desires to prove, like another and inferior Sid, that he could fight as well as anybody thrice his age, he picked a quarrel with an Indian, a friend of his father, killed him, cut off his head, and tossed it by the scalp lock at his father's feet, when the latter had done chasing deserter Riley's gang and bestowing leaden favors on guerrillas. Texas Jack was in San Francisco in 51, in company with the Louisianan called Indian Fred, Bill Flanders, an ex-plug ugly of Baltimore, and a Mexican known as Monty, abbreviation of Montezuma. These four had with them a number of horses and mules, of which they had relieved the rancheros in the valleys of San Joaquin and San Jose. They corralled these in a yard in Mission Street, near Primera Street, and went to a tavern near the old police station. In this house lodged several policemen, one of whom was sick abed. From his room, he heard and recognized the voice of Indian Fred. He called him and advised him to leave the city forthwith, as he knew of there being three warrants out for him on heavy charges of theft, and that, over and above that, he was looked upon as the principal in a certain murder recently committed in a neighboring county. Fred informed Texas of what had happened to him and set out for Stockton with his two companions. Scarcely were they gone than Jack had disposed of the best of the stolen cattle to the hotel keeper, and the same day he drove them all to the public square and sold them at auction, a deed so bold that it was successful. Then he went off some fifteen miles on the Santa Clara Road, entered a ranch where the hotel keeper had had his new purchase taken, stole him anew, and rode off with him to the mission of San Luis Obispo. There it was that he made the acquaintance of Murieta and several of his gang in a house of ill fame, kept by one Victor Linares, situated between the mission and the place where the coast seamen disembark. Texas was lucky enough on a certain occasion to render a service to Joaquin by furnishing him with intelligence of some of his pursuers, and the bandit, not to be behindhand in generosity, made him a gift of a magnificent horse, a counterpart, except in sex, for mares are not used for riding by Mexicans, of Dick Turpin's famous Black Bess. In the course of his adventures, Jack had fallen into the habit of sleeping when he camped alone, with his head between the forelegs of his intelligent steed. One night, while he was resting near San Antonio Creek, he was suddenly awakened by his horse, which was pulling his hair by biting it. He had hardly opened his eyes than he caught sight of three or four persons, half-breeds or Mexicans, who were stealthily approaching him with the evident design of killing or robbing him. Indeed, he had barely got into the saddle before bullets began to shower upon him, but he escaped, while the horse neighed cunningly as if he rather enjoyed the outwitting of those who had forgotten that thief should not rifle thief, or dog eat dog. When he and his companions were led before Joaquin, the latter agreed that his men had been right in sparing them, and he gave them their permission to go their way immediately. Several members of the band offered objections, and so hotly that Mireida, for fear that the three would be murdered, deemed it proper to have them escorted by Valenzuela, three-fingered Jack, and a couple more, at least half the way to the San Joaquin River. This party had left the camp behind by some sixteen miles, when Garcia rushed his horse up to one of the three and deliberately blew his brains out with a point-blank discharge. 
On seeing this, Texas Jack and his remaining comrade clapped spurs to their horses and dashed off as fast as possible to escape the second onslaught of Garcia. The latter's two next shots disabled and unhorsed Jack's companion, who, however, had a grapple and a fight of much fierceness with his assassin, by which delay Texas got off. Seeing that it was impossible to gain ground upon him, as he was fifty yards away and going three feet to his two, the Mexican delivered the three last barrel's contents on the fugitive, and pulling up, cried, "'Good luck, old boy. Close shave!' With these words, he returned to his friends, who, from the very first shot, had dwelt stupefied, and in doubt whether to act for or against the prisoners. "'It's a pretty piece of work you've done,' said Valenzuela. "'But I suppose you had the captain's orders.' "'Orders?' returned Garcia, charging his six-shooter. "'I don't think so. No other orders than you got yourself.' "'What? Did you kill those men on your own responsibility?' "'Why, yes, caramba! And I have settled the third, only escaped me, curse him.' "'What did you do it for?' inquired Valenzuela. "'It was useless.' "'Useless? What do you say? Useless to kill Americans? I'd advise you to go back to Mexico and turn monk. Don't faint at blood spilling.' I suppose those men had been let off. Well, they would have betrayed us. The captain did not think so. And as it is, you have let one escape and perhaps made an enemy of him. For, though I have every reason to believe that he has always been our friend, he will believe that Joaquin commanded the treachery. Let him and the captain and you believe whatever you please, growled Jack. I care as little for one as for the other. On the return to camp, Good care was taken not to relate what had happened on the road, for the companions of Garcia feared their chief's wrath, and they felt that they would be considered as accomplices for not having prevented the bloody assassination. A week afterwards, as the month of March 1853 opened, a series of brigandish exploits commenced, which thrilled the whole country with terror and indignation. The outlaws had chosen as the seat of their operations the three richest counties of the Golden Land, to wit, El Dorado Calaveras and Tuolumne and never since the days of the freelances of Alva and Wallenstein had an Eden been so completely and swiftly assailed. Detached companies of four or five, at most a dozen, had been scattered all over the district, and such was the number, the variety, and extent of their depredations that the voice of runner could not enlarge upon them, and we cannot find space to record them. Ask your friends who were in California, then, and they will each have their brace to a dozen of stories to tell, we warrant. Theft, murder as atrocious as could be, Fires and plundering formed a subject of universal conversation and of much fear. Some of these misdeeds were committed in broadest day, others were shrouded in blackest night, but everybody saw in them the mind or arm of Joaquin. Though the numerous lines and circles of this vast and complex outbreak were greatly divergent, yet, like a cobweb, they all were connected with a common center, their originator being there watching the result of his weaving. There was scarcely a place of any importance in the state which was not unavoidably disgraced by one or two of his secret agents. There rarely, or never, were lacking places of shelter to hide wounded and the stolen horses, and there might be named here certain farms, kept by men then quite the thing for honesty and responsibility in the eyes, too often misty and webbed, of the world, whereon Joaquin and his associates found help in times of need. While marauding all along the road, Mirieta and eight of his braves had come upon one of the banks of the Tulum, in the middle of one of the March nights. The ferry boat was so dexterously fastened to its little wharf that it was impossible for them to make use of it themselves, as they were in the habit of doing. They proceeded consequently to the ferryman's house, finding him so deeply slumbering that the only way to arouse him was to break in the door. He came out frightened to see what was the matter. "'We want to cross,' replied Joaquin. "'But before making the passage, 
We would like you to lend us all the money you have about you. This may prove to you that no beating about the bush is allowed, added he, displaying his six-shooter under the poor fellow's nose. Put it up, said he. I will give you all there is. He lit a candle and produced a purse containing only a hundred dollars. Come now, growled Three-Fingered Jack, who was of the party and who never wanted to miss burning powder. This won't do. You've got more than this. Out with it. He would have fired, indeed, but Joaquin ordered him to keep quiet. It is all I have, senor, replied the trembling ferryman. I don't trouble myself about so little, said the chief, with that generosity which is sometimes seen in those who are flush. Keep it. Take us over to the other side, and you shall be paid besides. Without any other adventure, and that was scarcely remarkable, the little party arrived in the vicinity of Stockton after a two-day's journey and camping three miles or so out of town under a luxuriant clump of trees. End of chapter 23